Our first guest tonight is Andrew McMillan. Andrew is a freelance journalist and author. His first book, Talking Smack, Honest Conversations About Drugs, was published by UQP in 2014. He also hosts Penmanship, a podcast about Australian writing culture, which features in-depth interviews with Australians who earn a living from working with words. Andrew's journalism has been published in, amongst other places, and this list is quite long, Rolling Stone, Good Weekend, Wired, The Guardian, The Monthly, The Australian, Q Weekend, GQ Australia, The Sydney Morning Herald, Back Channel, and just this week, I believe, The Saturday Paper. So please welcome Andrew McMillan to Milan. So this book, um, you, you know, talk, named Talking Smack, is uh, clearly about musicians and their drug habits or non-habits. How did you come to write this? How did this come into being? I avoided illicit drugs throughout my teenage years. I grew up in Bundaberg and the heaviest drug... Did you have to avoid drugs in, in Bundaberg? <laughs> well, it, I don't know, it's hard to, to say in retrospect. Like, my, my peer group, we, we drank alcohol. That's what we did from the age of, you know, 14 onward. On the weekends, we get pissed together. And no one that I knew smoked pot or took ecstasy or anything harder than that. I, I viewed such, such behaviour as fairly uh, untoward, I suppose. I didn't understand what illicit drugs were or why people took them. I had no education in this area. So it wasn't until I moved to Brisbane and started studying at the University of Queensland and was gradually more exposed to some of these criminal elements of society that I <laughs> gradually worked up the courage to smoke some pot, like have a little toke of a joint and lo and behold I didn't die I didn't pass out, I didn't have a hangover the next morning, I felt different and I came to realise that hold on, maybe I'd bought into the hysteria around illicit drug use wholesale for so long, maybe there was plenty of reasons why people choose to use drugs and with the book I chose to interview 14 prominent Australian musicians about their experiences with such substances, what they got out of them and what they what they enjoyed and what they didn't like about illicit drugs. So, but did you have a, uh, do you have an agenda in writing the book? Was there something, were you proposing possibly a saner policy towards drugs? Or, I mean, what, what was your... Not so much policy. I'm, like, not really coming at it from a legalisation or a, a regulation-type angle. More, I mean, the subtitle is Honest Conversations About Drugs, and that's what I want to do with the book, to try and open up some, some dialogues around this issue, because I feel it's often hijacked by the most negative, loud voices, which are politicians and sensationalist aspects of the media and police, whose job, obviously, it is to uh, arrest anyone who is found in possession of certain substances. Well, why musicians? I'm a lifelong music fan, and I basically just wanted an opportunity to talk to some of my favourite artists about this, uh, <laughs> this, this new area of my life. So when U UQP came to me asking if I had any book ideas, and at that time... I was exploring that, this new aspect of my life, and I decided to combine my two interests of drug use and music. And, and you weren't particularly kind of worried? Because, look, I, I, there's probably a lot of musicians in the audience, and I don't want to offend anybody, but my experience of listening to Andrew Ford and the music show and various other things, that, that, and, and rock musicians throughout my life, is that musicians are not always the most articulate people about their art. Hmm. And when you combine that with talking about drugs and that extraordinary paradox about drug experience, which is that it is so transformative 
but it's also so banal when you try and talk about it with somebody mm. else. You, you were entering very dangerous territory, weren't you? I, I mean, was. I think you avoided this. I just, but I, but well, thank I you. have to ask the question, okay? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a good point. Anytime you get high on anything, whether it's caffeine or alcohol or on, on upwards or downwards, as, as the case may be, um, these are you know, powerful substances that affect your mind and, powerful, mind and body in powerful ways. And to try and capture it in words, you're right, is a difficult task at the best of time. So I, I skillfully chose 14 musicians who could uh, articulate those experiences, I hope. Yeah. And did, did, did you try a whole lot of other musicians? Is this 14 that, that the people who would talk to you about it? Or That's right. I had a long list, as you can probably imagine. It was probably about 100 artists long. And uh, if you can think of an Australian musician who... Uh, didn't appear in the book, you can probably be rest assured that I tried them or their management or their label and they either didn't reply or they said no. Okay. And uh, one of the things that, that I was taken by when I was in my introduction to you is how many people you write for. So you're a freelance journalist, is that is that what you do? Yeah, for coming up on six years now, I write for whoever will have me and pay as well. I'm following the model of Mr Birmingham over here, who's the ultimate Australian freelance writer, I think. So, I mean, is that, is that a hard road to hoe? Do you... Yeah, it's not easy, but I love it, so I keep doing it. And uh, so how did you start? How did you find... How did you start to sell your, your, own, your work out into the marketplace? I started in music journalism, so I started writing about music exclusively, interviewing artists, going to live music shows, reviewing albums, and for a couple of years I did that exclusively until I got to the point where I essentially burned out my enthusiasm for music. So I decided I could either stop doing journalism or broaden my horizons. So now writing about music makes up a small, small piece of the pie, as it were. I've, I've brought it into more general feature journalism for weekend magazines and so on. And do you have ambitions for investigative journalism? Is that where you'd like to go to? Um, I've done a bit of that around the video game industry, actually, looking at companies who have had interesting uh, experiences around certain development cycles or who have gone bankrupt and nobody knows why. So I've done some digging around that area in the past few years. But I'm really just attracted to writing stories and investigating topics that interest me. Like, we're here to talk about my current book, which came out a year ago tomorrow. Wait, yeah, a year tomorrow. But I'm currently working on a book about body donation, for example. So I've been spending a lot of time with medical students who are dissecting cadavers for the first time. And? And it's been incredibly interesting. Like, I thought I was a pretty squeamish sort of person until I was in the same room as a cadaver that was being cut with a scalpel and rather than being repulsed, I found myself fascinated. Perhaps because it's in an educational setting at the University of Queensland where these are the doctors of tomorrow learning how the body works from the inside out, as it were. So this is the beauty of journalism, right? I get to put myself in places that the average person can't get to and then report back for the average person. And, well, this is somewhere I didn't know we were going to go with this interview. But Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm very curious because I heard an apocryphal story just the other day that quite a lot of these cadavers are coming from overseas. Is, is that correct? Not anymore. They may have in the past. But University of Queensland, for example, their body donor program goes back to 1927. And since that time, they've had 4,600 Australians die and donate their bodies to be used for medical research within the university. And they've got 12,000 people currently on the books who 
when they die, if they're in the catchment area within an hour or so's drive of the university, and if, if their um, family don't interject, they will end up at the university embalmed and then um, to be poked out and prodded and dissected by the doctors of tomorrow. And do you have to be of a certain age? I mean, would I mean, they be interested in somebody like me as well as somebody like you? Oh, sure. I mean, the average age of donors is 80 years old, so it's mostly elderly people who... Oh, OK. And you have to die of natural causes, and you can't have certain um, diseases or particular types of cancer that may exclude you from being accepted, but they're interested in everyone. You could sign up tomorrow if you wanted to, Stephen. So, um... Sorry, I'm totally hijacked. No, 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 no. I'm not planning to fall off the perch tomorrow, but, but I could sign up tomorrow. So I'm curious to know how you responded to what I said about Brisbane at the, um, at the, uh, during the introduction. What about it? Well, just the, the way that Brisbane culture has changed so much during your lifetime and whether you feel satisfied as being a Brisbane res resident, as being a, a journalist, is that is that enough for you, or do you have ambitions to go off and live in New York? Is, can you can you pursue your career where you are? Is basically the question. Definitely, there's no shortage of stories anywhere in the world. But obviously, the more people you have in a particular area, the more stories there are. And working as a freelance journalist out of Brisbane, there aren't too many doing so. And most of the freelancers are based in Sydney and Melbourne. So I think John would agree about this being here is almost a point of difference because there's a smaller pool to draw from and more stories that aren't being covered. So I've always got my antenna up looking for the next story and something that um, might make a great 3,000 word feature in a national magazine. Yeah. And in fact, I, I looked at something that you'd put up on your blog today, which was, um, I mean, which ties in with Talking Smack, which was about a, a woman in America who, it was, she does something on Reddit. Do you want to talk about yeah. that a little bit? There's this drug called naloxone, which its only purpose is to reverse the effects of opiate overdose. So if someone is, has overdosed on heroin or any other opiate, if you inject them with this fluid, it will reverse the effects of respiratory depression, which is why people die of opiate overdose. They stop breathing. And this drug exists solely to, to do that very purpose, and it's slowly becoming available throughout the United States. I'm not quite sure on its um, acts availability here in Australia, but because this story was about an American woman who has used Reddit to send 700 care packages to opiate users in the last two years, and she's saved over 100 lives of people who have been injected with this drug and come back from overdose. Which is basically what you're talking about in, in this book, is about this having a conversation about drugs rather than making drugs. I mean, I think Australia is probably in a slightly different situation than the Americans. Uh, having read your article there and thought about it, there are uh, safe injecting rooms in parts of Australia. There are, there are needle exchange programs, which there doesn't seem to be in America. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a need for what this woman was doing. Yeah, it's mostly used as a like a precautionary measure. Like um, emergency services staff or paramedics carry it in their first aid kits in some parts of the United States, and maybe the case here in Australia as well. Like I said, I'm not quite up to date with that. But yeah, I mean, it's with that story. What I wanted to do is view intervenors, drug users, who are often chastised and looked down upon throughout every element of society as you know junkies, dead shits, dropouts. Like fuck them. That's that's their lot in life. They're just, they're 
choosing to use this drug which is going to harm them, they deserve what's coming to them. Whereas this woman, a former heroin addict herself, she, she has the opposite view where every drug user deserves compassion and respect and understanding. And if they want to get clean, then help them rather than just exposing them to the criminal justice system and letting let the chip, chips fall where they may. Mm. So in your writing your book, at the end of it, you've got this fantastic little series of, uh, of, of cartoon strip there written by your brother, is that right? Yeah, his name's Stuart McMillan. He's a long-form cartoonist based in Canberra and he wrote this, wrote and drew this cartoon called War on Drugs, which essentially summarises a lot of the, the arguments that I'm making in the book, I suppose, that rather than throwing billions of dollars at this failed drug war, why don't we treat users with respect and offer health care programs to, to bring them back from the brink rather than just locking them away and throwing, locking them up and throwing away the key. Thank you so much, Andrew, and thank you for coming up to Milani to talk to us. Please put your hands together and welcome Andrew McKillens.